Men, I have a question for you. When was the first time that you thought of yourself as a man? What is it? What, what makes us think of ourselves as men? What is that, what is that transition point? Or, or when you look at others, what makes you think, that's a boy, that's a man? It's a great question, isn't it? I think it's important that we have an understanding of, of what it means to be a man. And then I want to look at it in the context of fatherhood, but, but these principles, they apply whether you are a father or not. God demonstrated manhood to us and showing us how we're supposed to live our life, those, those primal things, those things that, that honestly should be intuitive. Understand that you were made in God's image, you are made in His likeness. You are made to be a reflection of our Heavenly Father. What that means is this. It means that the qualities of a godly father, the qualities of being a man are hardwired within you. So, unless the enemy is able to fracture that, fragment that, get you down an unhealthy path, the reality is this, is everything that is necessary for you to be a man of God, for you to be a person of character, is within you. Here's what I love. I love this, that additionally, even if we get distracted, even if we get sidetracked, because it's part of our core person, because it's, it's, it's intricately woven into our spiritual, emotional, intellectual DNA, that even if we get down an unhealthy path, the truth is this, is that we can, we can reposition. We can return. Okay? We can come back to that which is core. Because these qualities, they are within us. When I think about those qualities, I think about Scripture that connects. I want to take you to what is likely the most often quoted, the most familiar of all Scriptures, and that will be our text this morning. If you want to know the character of God, and that character then which is instilled or infused within you, we find it. In John's Gospel, the third chapter, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Everything that is necessary to know about being a man, you will find in that Scripture. Everything that you need to know about the character of God is presented in that one verse, for God so loved the world that He gave. For God so loved the world that He provides. That God so loved the world that He requires. So God, for God so loved the world that He guides. It's all laid out right there. 1943, we were embroiled in the midst of World War II. And against that backdrop, C.S. Lewis 
held three lectures at King's College in Newcastle in February 1943, February 24th, 25th, 26th, 1943. And, and these three lectures were then put into a book. And the book was entitled The Abolition of Man. And in, in these lectures, and then made into this book, C.S. Lewis talks about this assault against manhood. And, and how moral relativism, or that this idea that there's nothing that is absolute, that what it's doing, it's eroding the basis of who man is. And I, and I asked you this question as we started. I asked you this question of, of when did you first consider yourself or think about yourself as a man? And I, and I, love, I love this statement from, from The Evolution of Man. Here's what C.S. Lewis says. He says this, an open mind in questions that are not ultimate is useful, but an open mind about the ultimate foundations, either theoretical or practical reason, is idiocy. If a, mind, if a man's mind is open on these things, let his mouth at least be shut. Here's what we know. We know this, that God has called us to grow from boyhood into manhood. And that there are some absolutes as it relates to man. Unfortunately, what has happened is this. If we're not careful, society tells us that we're a man when we engage in vice rather than virtue. Let me say that again because it's probably one of the most important things that I will say this morning. That society will tell you a man, that you are a man when you engage in vice rather than virtue. We're, we're considered to be independent when we respect our parents or disrespect our parents rather than, than respect our parents. We mistake rudeness for strength. We don't get it. And so, a man is a man when he, when he starts smoking, <laughs> drinking, chewing, hanging out in the wrong places. And, and, and that's, how, that's how we tend to ascertain manhood in contemporary culture. That was never God's design. It was, it was never God's plan. Manhood was not about activity, but it was about a reflection of character. Maturity was not about activity as much as it was about understanding and disposition. And so, in God's model for manhood, it's not so much what you do, it's about who you are. And this is what I'm convinced of. I'm convinced that we live in a world where we have a lot of boys parading around pretending to be men. And you're, you're far too old, sir, to be a boy. It is time that men put the childish things behind them and become the men that God has called them to be. I will offer you this. I think the church has done much to keep men functioning as boys. Because 
In a world of need, for some reason, I, I love this, one of the quotes in, in The Abolition of Man that C.S. Lewis says is, is this. He says, we're cutting down the jungles instead of irrigating the deserts. We're focusing on the wrong things. And, and what we've taught you in the church is we've taught you this. If you talk a certain way and walk a certain way, if your activity measures up to our list of standards, then you're a man. But we didn't take the time to really deal with the character issues that are underlying. These aspects of maturity that are so very important. And so when struggles come, when difficulties come, activity will never anchor you. But character and godly maturity will keep you steadfast. And so this morning, I want to talk about just a, a, a few of those things that I believe should be primary, that should be our focus. So let's, let's break it down. For God so loved. One of the first things that we learn about a father is that a father loves. A father loves. It's, it's important as we consider that, that we consider how the father loves and, and how we're supposed to love. Because all too often, it's real easy for us to be sucked into the model of love that's demonstrated for us in, in the culture that we find ourselves in. And the love that's demonstrated for us is this, I love you if, I love you when, I love you because, I love you so. I love you if, pressure to perform. I love you when, my love is situational, my love is circumstantial. I love you because you have to do something to earn my love. I love you so, a subtle form or maybe a not so subtle form of manipulation. But God demonstrates His love for us. Before we ever thought of Him, He calls to us. He draws us. And God loves completely. And His love is absolute. I remember the day that each of my children were born. They did nothing to earn my love. They did nothing to deserve my love. And yet in that moment, I would have given my life for them. That remains true today. I would still, I would give my life, I would gladly give my life for my children. But even in that point where they were born, even in that point of, 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 of their, their introduction to life, I, I, I loved them. 
I, I loved them before they were even born. I, I can remember praying for my daughter before she ever arrived. I can remember praying for my son be, be, before he ever breathed a breath. It's, it's this wonderful thing that God gives us. It's part of the core of who we are. We love our children, don't we? It's a, it's a reflection, and, and that being hardwired in you, that's a reflection of God's character. It's a reflection of God's heart. Recognize this, that that same love that you have for your children that's demonstrated at the point of birth, that is the love that is supposed to color every aspect of your life. Every aspect of relationship, every aspect of connection. We are called to love, not if, not when, not because, not so. Love, period. Because that's what God does, that's what God says. That's why the daughter of Ethel Lance could say to a murderer, I forgive you. Because love hopes all things, believes all things, endures all things. Love keeps no record of wrong. Love never fails. It is undeniable and it's undefeatable. It's the love that God has given to us, and it's the love that He calls us to express. For God so loved you and I that He gave. A father loves. A father doesn't just love. A father gives. Catch this. A father gives not so much what we want but always what we need. A father gives not always what we want, but always what we need. My, my son is over here to my right. He's 17 years of age, and uh, he's running one of the cameras. Uh, Drew, when he was younger, when he was much younger, uh, we were at a restaurant, and uh, they brought the kids' menu. And uh, Drew, I would say he was two or three at the time, and they had pictures of animals on the menu. And Drew looks at it and said, I want the snake. I said, son, they, they don't have snake. You can have chicken fingers, you can have, no, I want the snake. There's a picture of a snake. Son, those are just the pictures on the menu. They don't have snake. I want the snake! I want the snake! You know, and then, the, of course, the food server's looking at you, and they don't have a whole lot of sympathy in that moment, do they? I said, look, you've got to have something that you can make look like a snake. You've got to help me out. I, 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 don't, I don't know what to do. All right, Drew, here's what they're going to do is the snake it's actually not going to look like a snake because they, they, they kind of grind it up. It's going to taste a lot like chicken. Just want you to know. Why? Because as, as parents, as fathers, we understand this, that, that we have this responsibility to, 
to give. But in that, what we give should be a reflection of our character. How we give should be a reflection of our intent. Why we give should be without a doubt. But we give. You know what I've noticed? That when I give properly, it always has a price tag. Let me say that again. When I give properly, it always has a price tag. I believe that this is important. I believe it's significant because that price tag, what it is, giving is an investment in the relationship. Here's why I love that truth, because God consistently gives to you. God invests in you. Do you know why God invests in you? Catch this. This is why God invests in you, because He believes in you. God invests in you because He understands who you are. He understands who He's designed you to be. He understands the destiny that He has for you. He understands the value that is in you. And God invests in you because you're a worthwhile investment. God invests in you because He believes in you. I invest in my children because I believe in them. And everything that I give to them, I give to them as seed. Let me say that again. Everything that I give to them, I give to them as seed. Not not that it will return back to me, but that it will grow for them. Because that's what God does. When God invests in us, God does not invest in us so it returns to Him. God invests in us that it would multiply to us. And so, when God gives, God gives with intentionality. The greatest need that mankind had was for our eternal destiny to be secured. And so what does God give? God gives His only Son as an investment in your destiny, as an investment in my destiny. Men, we have a responsibility to those that God has entrusted in us. You, sir, you are the spiritual covering of your family. You are called to be the priest of your home. And in that, you have to love, not if, when, because, so. You love, period. And because you love, you invest. You give. And you give not what you think you can afford. You give what is needed no matter the cost. And God paid the highest price demonstrating for us the posture of a father. And that's what fathers do. They they give. Yeah, the... The convertible goes away when the children arrive. Sir, 
you probably said the same thing that I said. I will never be caught dead driving a minivan. I didn't drive it dead. I drove it alive, but we had the minivan. One of the One of the best moments of my life was when we bought that minivan. I seriously believe that. Didn't have a sunroof, wasn't a convertible. Zero to 60 in about four and a half minutes. I gotta be honest with you. I, I, the idea of having a mini, minivan, it horrified me. Thanks, Josh. Can I tell you this, though? With a 17-year-old and a 20-year-old, I would give anything to go back to those days of that minivan. Seriously. Kids in the back strapped in, singing songs, playing with one another. They don't print enough money, no matter whose face is on the front. They don't print enough money. to match the value of that. They just don't. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes, a father requires. A father requires. Why? Because it speaks to the development that is supposed to happen within each and every one of us. It was a difficult thing for me last month when we put our daughter on a plane to go and spend a couple of months in Europe working with one of our missionaries. It's, it's tough to, to launch our children into adult situations. By the way, just a quick comment. We need to take back the definition of adult situations, amen? Um, it's interesting to me. This is just a little side note. It's interesting to me what the world defines as an adult store or an adult bookstore. Uh, men, before you leave today, we're, I'm going to give you an adult book. Yeah. It's called How God Makes Men. I believe it's one of the most important adult books you'll ever read. We need to take back the definition of what adult is. But sending my daughter into an adult situation, I'm thankful for what I required of my children. I, I, I want to, for those of you that are still in the process of parenting, I, I want to I let you in on a little tip. Uh, we have always required of our children what they're, what, what they're capable of. Nothing, nothing more, nothing less. Uh, I've never asked my children to get a certain academic grade. I've only asked that they give their best. And in the disciplining process, 
Jody and I have always been very careful not to punish, but to guide. So, in our household, our children would hear a comment like this, I'm really surprised that you've made the decision to not be able to use the television for a week. I never said, you know what, you're grounded from the television for a week. Never said that. I would say this, I'm surprised that you made the decision not to use the television for a week because you understand the guidelines that we have in our house and that for every decision that you make, there's consequence. And so, knowing that I would be faithful to you because the most important thing that I can do as a parent is to demonstrate faithfulness, right? Knowing that I'd be faithful to you and knowing that these are the guidelines of the household, you chose to act in this way and now you don't have access to the television for a week. I really thought that you enjoyed television. I'm surprised that you made that decision. But I want you to know this. I'm going to support the decision. <laughs> My children heard conversations like that often. And, and here's, I wanted them to understand. I wanted them to understand the issue of responsibility. I wanted them to understand that the decisions that they make have consequences. And there are those who don't get, if God is so loving, if God is so wonderful, why then does he allow people to go to a Christless eternity? Understand this, God has set before you life and death, blessings and curses. He's giving you the opportunity to choose. And what a father does is a father requires, why? Because it is central to the development process. Whosoever believes on him, God doesn't say, sir, that you have to be something. He's given you the choice. He's given you free will. And you know what I discovered? I discovered this, that in the life of a parent, that my journey as a parent is much like God's journey with me as his child. God goes from controlling, right, in the creation process, controlling the process, to coaching. Even in, even in the garden, God gives man free will, right? Go, be fruitful, be multiplied multiply. I want you to rule over the earth. I want you to subdue it. Everything here is available to you. I want to point out two trees in the center of the garden. There's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you do, you will die. You have all of this opportunity. Do with it what you will. So, all of creation, massive, good, available, one thing, don't mess with this. But God gives mankind the ability to choose his own, her own destiny. Sir, God gives you the ability to choose your own destiny. I made a statement earlier that I, I, I want to make sure that you grasp because so many men, so many men who claim to be godly men don't get this. 
I love this, C.S. Lewis says this in The Evolution of Man. He says this, we make men without chests and expect of them virtue and enterprise. We laugh at honor and are shocked to find traitors in our midst. We castrate and bid the geldings be fruitful. There's something to be said of requiring something. In this world of moral relativism where we don't want to require anything of anyone, it's the reason why we have all of this junk that we're dealing with. It's why we live in a world where morality is confusing and, 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 and gender has become somehow complicated. Can I offer you this? It makes no sense to me. Well, I understand it. Because we did not heed the warnings of people like C.S. Lewis back in 1943. And theories become assumptions. And we forget, about the th- we forget about the theoretical aspect, and we accept things as gospel. And it, it just, it, it, it lends to this societal and even spiritual confusion. Make no mistake, God requires, and God requires absolutely, God requires because it's part of the formation process of who you are. But I I love this, that God doesn't just require, what He also does is this, is He he guides or, or He protects. For God so loved, God loves, that He gave, God gives, that whosoever God requires, would believe on Him, shall not perish, okay? God is constantly guiding. He's constantly protecting. All things do work together for good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose, okay? Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. I've given you everything that you need for life and godliness, Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine, nakedness, danger, sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. Why? Because here's what God does. He guides us, right, down pathways of righteousness. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Sometimes he guides us with the staff, sometimes he guides us with the rod, but he guides us. And yes, we live in a world where there is more than enough danger, but our God is big enough and he will guide us and protect us if we allow him. Here's what I understand, men. I understand this. In my role as a spiritual covering of my household, in my role as the priest over my family, that I have a responsibility to love them and demonstrate love to them. I have a responsibility to give to them, even when it costs me something. I have the responsibility to see them developed, which means that I have to require things of them. I also have this responsibility to serve as that guide and that protection. And so in that, helping them to have an understanding of, of, of the perilous situations that they can put themselves in. And while never circumventing their free will, providing enough information and opportunity and push and motivation 
that God's word is true when it says to raise up the child in the way they are to go or in the way that they are bent, and when they're old, they will not depart from it. Because here's what a father does. He faithfully provides. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes on Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That's it. That's the center of the target. And what God gives is God gives right at the center of the target. As a parent, I have to give right for that primary purpose. Sometimes that's not easy. I want my children to like me. I want my children to say, Dad's a great guy. I want my children to think I'm cool. I I think we all do that, right? But in that primary purpose, in in that number one thing that I have a responsibility to give to my children, and, and that is an, an, an embracing of their eternal destiny. I don't always get to be a friend. They will not always be a fan. And t- in fact, there are times that they will be frustrated with me. Th- there are times that they won't like me. In fact, in a moment of emotion, there are times where they will mistakenly believe that they hate me. If you're a parent here and you've never heard your child say, I hate you, you are in the minority. Right? And some of you, it's over a little thing, you wouldn't buy them an ice cream cone at McDonald's. I hate you, I know. Welcome to the party, right? My goal as a parent is not that you love me. God's goal as your heavenly Father is not that you love Him. See, we have this mistaken understanding oftentimes about God and His position towards us. God's goal wasn't for you to be this, you know, all-star. God's goal wasn't. God sent His Son in the world not to condemn the world. Right? Isn't that what it says there in John 3? By the way, that's a great message for the church. That I, I could preach a whole other sermon this morning on that. I won't because it's Father's Day, and I know you've got a grill to get to. Right? Because on Mother's Day, we go out to eat. On Father's Day, men, we grill, and it's what we do. The, um, we, 
we have this mistaken notion, okay? And we think, men, we think we have to fix everything, and we have to make everything look good and look right. We try to fix our kids. We try to fix our family. We try to fix our world. Then as we gather together in this thing that we call church, that, that kind of filters into the church, and, and we, get, we get sidetracked and confused about what we're supposed to do. And so it becomes about, all about this activity rather than character. And it becomes about doing the right things rather than issues of eternal destiny. So then what happens is if people look the right way, talk the right way, act the right way, have the right connections, then they'll feel accepted in our little group. Let me tell you why I'm talking about this on Father's Day. Because one of the greatest tragedies is this, is that we live in a time where issues of spirituality are still on the uptick. But men, most of the men in this room, your children have an ever-increasing disregard for the church. And the reason is because we've given them a bad picture of who God is and what His family looks like because we've been confused about what our role is. And we've tried to control rather than coach. We've, we've gotten somehow sidetracked on what love is. And the enemy has distorted that which we're supposed to give to our children. And as long as, as long as our approach to God fits a certain mold, we're good. And if we're not careful, we become what Jesus talked about when He said this about the religious people of His day, that they're whitewashed sepulchers, that they look really good, but there's no life in them. I made a lot of mistakes in my life. I continue to make them. I am. Um, well, I was going to use a term that could be, be misconstrued. Um, let me say this: I this morning on the way to church, uh, I stopped to get a, a, a oatmeal. And um, for some reason, it was taking an incredibly long time in the drive-thru lane. I, and I was not happy about it. I did not, I'm so proud of myself, I'm pat myself on the back. I did not honk my horn. Um, I wanted to. What, seriously, what are you people doing? I will tell you this, when I got up to the drive-thru window, I asked the girl, I said, why is it taking so long? She had no clue. She looked at me, this blank expression on her face. I said, this is fast food. I said, I could, I could have gone home and gotten oatmeal in the time that it's taken here. 16 minutes. I'm 16 minutes in the drive-thru lane. 
if she's watching this via live stream right now, she's going, that's the guy that was mean to me in the drive-thru lane. <laughs> I'm still a work in pro- progress. So are my children. You know what I, you know what I appreciate about my Heavenly Father? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So God recognizes I'm a work in progress. He recognizes that you're a work in progress as well. And He wants us to have that same posture towards those around us, those that we are supposed to have influence with. Most important group that I have influence with is my family. So I, 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 want my, I want my children, when they look at me, I don't want them to see perfection because perfection is reserved for God alone. And the most important thing that I can give them is not perfectionism. It's not idealism. It's not any ism for that matter. The most important thing that I can give them is an understanding of their eternal destiny. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believe on Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. When Nicodemus comes to Jesus and wants to know what is the most important thing, that's what Jesus tells him. God did not send His Son in the world to condemn the world, to point out all the faults and failings, all the shortcomings of the world. He sent His Son to the world that they might embrace their eternal destiny. That's it. That's what a father does. A father loves. A father gives. A father requires. A father protects or guides. A father, he provides. <laughs> 